This year, I am focused on saving and investing, but I still want to do things like travel. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side-by-side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending, which means you could end up with a free flight or maybe a better hotel room. So what could future you do with smarter financial decisions? Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. We're so excited to introduce you to Great Jones. Great Jones makes high-quality, thoughtfully designed cookware that's so stunning, you won't want to put it away. They have everything from Dutch ovens to ceramic dishes to non-stick sheet pans. They've got everything you want. I have the Saucy, which is a terrific saucepan. It has curved sides. It has a pouring spout. It has a lid. And it looks so elegant. It's really a pleasure just to look at it on the counter, even before we're using it. Yes, I love all the colors. Yeah. They make stunning gifts that are actually useful. Weddings, housewarming parties, birthdays. It's the perfect gift for the foodie in your life. So upgrade your kitchen and replace those old rusted hand-me-downs with bold, beautiful, long-lasting pieces from Great Jones. Get started today at greatjones.com and get an extra 15% off your first order with promo code HAPPIER. That's greatjones.com, promo code HAPPIER. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you strategies and ideas for creating more happiness in your daily life. This week, we'll talk about suggestions for ways to re-engage with your resolutions, and we'll talk to Jennifer Auker and Naomi Bagdonis about their new book, Humor Seriously, Why Humor is a Secret Weapon in Business and Life. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. And yes, indeed, once again, I am right here in my home office in New York City. And joining me today from L.A. is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. And Elizabeth, your humor always cracks me up. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And Gretchen, you are my best audience, I must say. You're an easy <laughs> audience, so I appreciate you. Yeah, We're a good team. <laughs> Hey, before we launch in, we want to let everybody know that our sixth anniversary episode is coming up. It's unbelievable. Elizabeth, can you believe that it has been six years I just can't. about? I can't. Oh, my gosh. It's amazing. Little did we know when we started this. Um, so it's coming up, and so we would love to hear from you. What are your favorite moments of all time? What are your favorite hacks? What is the try this at home that's moved the needle for you the most? It can be from this last year or it can be from any time. Don't worry about when it happened if you can't remember exactly when we talked about it. We would just love to know whatever struck you. Yes. I love hearing what ideas like maintain, you know, stay with people because sometimes it's something tiny. Yes. Yeah. It's going to be so fascinating to see what people say. And Elizabeth, this week, our Try This at Home tip is to re-engage with your resolution. Um, Research (laughs) shows that by mid-February, most people have abandoned their New Year's resolutions. Uh, This is perhaps not a surprise to most Mm -hmm. of us. But don't let this happen. And to help everyone re-engage with resolutions, we thought it'd be helpful to, like, go over for ourselves and for (laughs) everyone else the 21 strategies that we can use to strengthen our resolutions. 
Yeah, these are in your book, Gretch, Better Than Before. And I know that it's very helpful to me to use like a numerous ones yes. all at the same time. Yes. And I think that's something, if it's if it's a challenging habit or a really important habit, you might throw five or six strategies at it, which sounds hard, but is actually not that hard once you know all the ones you can choose from. So this is lightning round. Um, <laughs> so we will mention a couple episodes where if you want to go back, but there's a ton of stuff in better, my book Better Than Before, and there's a ton of stuff on my site if you are intrigued by one and want to learn more about how you might apply it. So the first one is to use the four tendencies. We talk about the tendencies yes. all the time. So again, if you don't know if you're an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, a rebel, go take the quiz at quiz.gretchenrubin.com, and you will get a little report that gives you some ideas about how to use your tendency. And then, Gretch, the strategy of distinctions, knowing yourself. Are you a yes. marathon or a sprinter, underbuyer, overbuyer, finisher or opener? Do you love novelty or familiarity? Yes. Knowing these things, you can tailor your approach to your own way instead of trying to cram yourself into someone else's model. Uh, the next strategy is a strategy many people use. It's probably one of the most popular, powerful strategies, the strategy of monitoring. We tend to manage what we monitor. So this is everything from like, Elizabeth, you deciding to weigh yourself yes. every day to people using sleep trackers. You aim for 10,000 steps every day using walk 20 and 20 or read 21 and 21. This is just monitoring. And what does foundation mean, Grouch? So foundation is if your foundation is strong, it's much easier to change your habits um, because mm. it's effortful to change habits. So foundation is to get enough sleep, get some exercise, don't let yourself get too hungry or thirsty because paradoxically, one reason people sort of eat unhealthfully is that they haven't eaten enough and then they're so hungry they just can't help but just rip open some crinkly bag. <laughs> and then also... Outer order, not for everyone. Some people are clutter blind like you, Elizabeth, but for most people, outer order contributes to a feeling of control and energy and focus. So my book, Outer Order, Inner Calm, is about how to create that part of your foundation, if that's important to you. We also talk about this in episode 18. Mm -hmm. Scheduling, this is a big one. Yes. Now, you rebels out there, you do not like scheduling, mm -hmm. so you skip this one. This is why you have to tailor it to you. But for many, many people, scheduling is very powerful. You don't exercise sometime today. You exercise first thing in the morning. Or you're like, when am I going to read my 21 and 21? Every day it might be at a different time, but I'm going to know when. And scheduling helps me follow through. And then the next one is probably my number one tool, accountability. Right. So, Accountability is the crucial and the necessary strategy for obligers. Uh, obligers must have outer accountability for inner expectations. But many people benefit from accountability. This is why we, we do better with deadlines and teams and deliverables. Like knowing that someone's looking over your shoulder often makes it easier. And so uh, if you thrive on accountability, you want to look for a lot of systems to create accountability. Then there's the strategy of first steps. And this is like often the hardest thing to do is to start. Um, so you want to spend a lot of time thinking about starting, because once you start, you can keep going. And then clean slate. So clean slate is not available to us at all times. Um, when something changes, when we get a new job, we have a new relationship, mm -hmm. we get a new puppy, we have a new commute, we join a new gym, anything that changes things, changes our environment or our, or our, our ways, can give us an opportunity 
to change our habits because since old habits are wiped away, it's much easier for new habits to rush in. So if you have a clean slate, you want to take advantage of it. You know, you want if you're starting a new job, you want your first day to be the way you want to keep going. You don't want to like say, oh, well, I'll stay really late for my you know, for the first month because that will establish a routine. You want to start off. You want your clean slate to be the way you want to continue. And then lightning bolt. This is like you reading Gary Tobb's book, Gretch. Absolutely. Now, lightning bolt is one of the most powerful strategies, but sadly, it is not a strategy <laughs> a strategy in our control. It's like something that happens to you. You get some information. You change status. Something happens. You have a new belief, and suddenly everything is easier for you. Your habits change almost effortlessly. Like you said, I read Why We Get Fat, and my ha- my eating habits changed overnight, just like effortlessly. And people are often like, I want to have the lightning bolt. How do I make myself have it? It's like, I don't know. I wish I knew. Um, It kind of just has to happen to you. Um, And then abstaining. This is a big one that you use. And we actually talked about abstaining way back in episode two of uh, Happier. So this is when you're facing strong temptation. Some people do better when they abstain and have none They can have none or they can have a lot, but they can't have a little. And then some people are moderators. Those are abstainers. Moderators do better when they have something sometimes or they Mm. have a little bit, like one square of fine chocolate or a few French fries. And so it's important to know what suits you because, like, for me, it's much easier to have none, no sugar, than a little sugar. But then I can be a moderator about wine because I don't really care about wine. And so I can have half a glass of wine. I can't have half a brownie. Mm -hmm. Um, But then moderators, they like to have like the 80-20 rule or, you know, they like moderation. And it's not that one way is right and one way is wrong. It's just that it suits different people. Yeah, which is true for all of these. It's like what works for you. Yeah. And then there are the twin strategies of convenience and inconvenience. If you want to do something, make it more convenient. If you don't want to do something, make it inconvenient. I've heard of people who sleep in their gym clothes, so it's easier to work out. And I've heard of people who leave their remote controls, like, (laughs) put away in a drawer in a room very far away from their television set because that way it's harder to watch TV. It's one of the most universal strategies. Yes. Putting my treadmill desk in my home office, for instance, was huge. Yes, yes. Safeguards. What are safeguards? So safeguards is when you you anticipate failure. Like you just have to think like probably things are going to go wrong. So how do I build in safeguards in order to keep myself back on track? Okay, Gretch, tell us about loophole spotting. We all love loopholes. I love loopholes. They are so <laughs> hilarious. There are 10 categories of loopholes. We are so good at finding a loophole for any time we want to let ourselves off the hook. We're like amazing advocates for ourselves. Hmm. We all use all of them probably. We, most of us have a few that are our favorites. My favorite is false choice, meaning I don't have time to go to the doctor because I'm so busy writing. Mm. That's a false choice. How about you, Elizabeth? What do you think is your favorite loophole? My favorite is the tomorrow loophole. Like starting tomorrow, I'm not going to eat any chips or I'm I'm starting tomorrow, I'm going to work out hard or whatever. It's like, and I believe it when I think it. I absolutely believe it. And then it doesn't happen. Jam yesterday and jam tomorrow, but never jam today. (laughs) Then there's the strategy of distraction. And that's when we're not numbing ourselves out, but we are just mindfully distracting ourselves from something that might lead us astray. Because often what you find is that if you distract yourself, 
you never even think about the thing that's tempting you. Mm. If you think, oh, all I want to do is sit down and binge watch Mad Men, <laughs> but then I go off and pay bills. By the time I'm done paying bills, I've sort of like completely lost the thread of wanting mm. to do that. And I'm, I'm ready to do something else. So distraction can be very helpful. That's a good one. Now, yeah. what about reward? Because that one could be dicey, it seems like. Reward is tricky. I would say many, many people use the strategy of reward without understanding that it is a very dangerous strategy. You should only reward yourself with something that takes you deeper into a behavior. That's to say, let's say you want to uh, do yoga consistently. Mm -hmm. You do not say, if I do yoga every day for 30 days, I get to have a brownie. Right. You want to say, if I do yoga for 30 days consistently, I get to get a new yoga mat. Right. Because what do you do with the yoga mat? More yoga. Yeah. Because a lot of times what happens is people reward themselves with things and then they, they think that they're forming a habit, but they're just working toward a reward. Mm. And once they get the reward, they stop the habit. And sometimes they keep up giving themselves a reward, even if they're not doing the habit. So the reward is stickier than the thing it's supposed to strengthen, and it doesn't really strengthen it. And it also teaches you that the reason you're doing it is to get the reward. The reason mm. you're doing yoga is because yoga makes you feel great. Right. That is the reward of yoga. Right. But treats, Scratch, are different from a reward. Yes. Treats are delightful. <laughs> this, is the be- this is the best fun strategy. We talked about this in episode nine. But treats are not a reward, and they have to be healthy treats. So not something – you don't want to do something to make yourself feel better that just ends up making you feel worse. So you want to think of healthy treats – like J- Jamie's favorite healthy treat is crossword puzzles. Like he loves to do a crossword puzzle. I love perfume. So I will just like spray perfume on myself as a little <laughs> treat. <laughs> okay, Gretch, pairing. This is something that I love and I think is so helpful. So pairing is when you pair something that you really want to do or really need to do, like take showers, mm-hmm. <laughs> with something that you're trying to get yourself to do. So, Elizabeth, you've found a lot of ways to use pairing. What's, your, what are some, yes. what's an example? Well, my classic one I use is watching Real Housewives shows on the treadmill. Because yeah. if I pair those things, I know I will get on the treadmill because I know I'm yeah. going to want to watch that show. A lot of people do podcasts and like walking. Yes. It's like you can only listen to that favorite podcast while you're walking. Yes. So pairing is, is really, is really uh, helpful. Then there's the strategy of clarity. This is a really important strategy for questioners because it's like, why mm. are you doing this? And mm. if you are a questioner who's having trouble forming a habit, I always say go to clarity because it's like, why are you doing this? Why does this make sense? Why are you doing this in the way that's right for you? Because, you know, questioners love customization. Why are you listening to this expert? Questioners really have to have total clarity on what they're asking of themselves. And once they have that clarity, they tend to be very, very good at following through. And when they're stuck, it's because they don't have clarity. Okay. And then identity. This sounds very rebel. Exactly. This is powerful for everyone, but it is very, very key for rebels. So this is like, you're doing this because this is who you are. You are writing every day because you are a writer or an artist. You are practicing uh, music because you're a musician. Um, You're going to the farmer's market and cooking healthy meals because you love to take care of your body. You're going to be on time to work because you want to be a responsible coworker. When we tie something to our identity, it feels like it's a much more kind of natural outgrowth of what we're doing. It feels tied to who we are. This is very important for rebels because identity is such a high value for them. Okay. And then the last strategy, Gretch, is other people. 
Yes. So to a crazy degree, we pick up habits from other people for good and for bad. So if in a couple, one person starts smoking, the other person's more likely to start smoking. If the one person starts exercising, the other person's more likely to start exercising. You see this in families, you see this in co- among coworkers, and you see it in friends. If, if you're in a group of friends who tend to spend very lavishly, it's going to be hard for you to maintain your frugal habits. So you want to think about that in terms of people you surround yourself with and also think about how you might be influencing other people's habits. That can almost be a form of accountability for obligers. And this is something that is very common. So we want to be very, very aware of it. We talked about this in episode 86. Yes, we have talked all about these, but you have to review them constantly because they slip from the mind and then, you know, you get back into bad habits. Yeah. If you want a good summation, we did an episode 148 that was kind of a good roundup of links. So Mm. you could listen to that or you can go on uh, on the show notes to happiercast.com slash 148 for a lot of links to all the different strategies. And also you can email me um, or on the website at GretchenRubin.com slash resources. There's a checklist for habit change where on one page it has all the strategies listed. So you could write your, your resolution at the top, like meditate, regularly and then go through the checklist and see how you might, as you suggested, Elizabeth, throw a lot of different strategies at one essential resolution so that you really are going to cement it in place. All right, everybody, let's keep those resolutions going. (laughs) Yes. Let us know if you tried this at home and what strategies do you use to re-engage with your resolution? We are dying to know. Let us know on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or as always, you can go to the show notes. This is happiercast.com slash 314. Coming up, we've got a happiness hack to help keep people from disappointing you, something we recently discussed. But first, this break. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Elizabeth, I got the Flow Knit Wide Leg Pant. It's very light. It's perfect for the summer. It packs very easily. I recently went on a trip with my family, and I took it with me, and they were just the thing to wear on a really hot day where I wanted to be covered up, but I wanted something that looked great and also was very comfortable. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash Gretchen for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Gretchen to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash Gretchen. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. And, you know, Elizabeth, I now work with a team and hiring the right people is so important. It's maybe the most important thing. And LinkedIn makes the process of identifying and hiring people easy and intuitive. I know that when I've been hiring for my team, it's hard to find quality candidates to interview. And LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, 
even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And now let's the happiness hack. Yeah, Gretch, this comes from Nicole. She was writing um, with a hack in response to our recent discussion about help people not disappoint you. She said, I'm a gifter. I love giving someone a gift they wanted but didn't ask for. Example, taking mental notes from a random conversation about something a friend mentioned she likes. I also know exactly the kind of gifts I would like to receive, yet I know a lot of my loved ones and friends, aka my husband, don't keep the (laughs) mental list that I do and need a little help to know exactly what I want. My 13-year-old daughter has volunteered to be the elf for my husband and asked me to send her specific gift ideas for special occasions. She isn't overburdened in this role. She quite enjoys helping dad shop for mom. This Valentine's Day, my husband asked me what I would like. Since I'm all about hashtag read 21 and 21, (laughs) I gave him a list of books I'm interested in reading and asked him to pick one from the list. That way, I knew I would be pleased with whatever book he selected. I think this has two great ideas. One is find your elf. That's another way to help someone not disappoint you is have an elf go between if somebody's willing to do that. And I love the idea of giving a list of things that you'd like and letting the person choose because that way I I feel like they still feel like they're surprising you and choosing something for you, but it's a bounded choice. So both of you know you're going to get something that you want. Yes. And yeah, Gretchen, we should mention, it sounds like Nicole's love language is gifts. We talked about the yeah. five love languages um, in episode 80. Yeah, it's the, the five love languages are words of affirmation, which is you and I both shared that love language, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. And it sounds like Nicole is receiving gifts. And that's important. It's like yes. help someone speak your language. So thank you, Nicole. This is, this is a great hack. Yes. And now for an interview. We are talking with Jennifer Ocker and Naomi Bagdonis about their new book, Humor Seriously, Why Humor is a Secret Weapon in Business and Life. Jennifer Ocker is a professor at Stanford Business School and is an expert on how purpose and meaning shape individual choices and how technology can support human well-being and company growth. Naomi Bagdonis is a lecturer at Stanford Business School and an executive coach who works with leaders, CEOs, and celebrities to help them get ready for appearances on shows from SNL to today. The work of both of them has received a lot of press attention in print and on TV. Their book, Humor Seriously, shows how humor can be one of the most powerful tools we have for accomplishing serious things. Research shows that humor makes us look more competent and confident, strengthens relationships, unlocks creativity, and boosts resilience. And humor makes people happier. <laughs> Hello, Jennifer and Naomi. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hey. So before we say anything, we want to say congratulations for hitting the bestseller list. That's very exciting. Yes. Thank Thanks. you. So before we we get into the specifics, I mean, this is such a fascinating subject. Just give people an overview of what the research and your experience in dealing with this shows about 
how and why using humor can be so powerful and so beneficial. Yeah, so it's really three things. First, there is a wealth of research showing that humor has a transformative effect on our behavior and our psychology. And not just in the moment, but more broadly on our mental health, our creativity, feelings of closeness with others, even our sense of meaning in life. Second, we know that it is a completely underleveraged asset at work, that our workplaces <laughs> are far too humorless. We are not using humor, mm-hmm. but we're still laughing at home. So we have a real incongruity issue between how we're acting at home and how we're acting at work. And then third, and really importantly, that this is a learnable skill. We know that small shifts in behavior and mindset are really all it takes to reap the benefits, which are particularly profound in hard times. It's funny because my word for 2020 was lighter and my COVID motto was stronger, closer, lighter. So it's like (gasps) humor is definitely one of the best ways to lighten up, but it can be hard to remember that in the moment. (laughs) I love that. How do you keep it top of mind that you want to be lighter and introduce humor? Well, I want to recognize what you're saying is exactly right. It's not funnier. It's lighter. And that is the mm. that's one of the most important things that we are teaching here is this is not about cracking the perfect joke. It's about fundamentally shifting our mindset and interacting with the world in a different way. So we talk about what does it look like to navigate your life on the precipice of a smile? That <laughs> is the thing that will have the greatest impact. And the other thing it is, it's really just about being human. So it's about lightening up versus, you know, creating jokes, but it's also just showing up as being human and doing sort of an analysis of the degree to which, you know, each word you use or each uh, word you write is actually unique and depicts you. It doesn't always have to be laugh out loud funny. Humor is actually this thing that's, that's far easier than we think. Well, that's one of the things you say is that the people have these unrealistic expectations of being funny, but this is something that the average person can do. So what are sort of some hacks or or mindsets to get into to bring in uh, more humor into the way you're engaging with people? The first thing we do with um, our students at Stanford is we give them a humor audit, which is the most fun audit ever. Mm -hmm. So basically what happens is, you know, we have data to show that people stop smiling and laughing around the time that they go into the workforce, around 23. And it's a huge global data set too, 1.5 million people, 166 countries. When asked the simple question, did you smile or laugh yesterday? People say yes until around 23. And then they say no, and they don't say yes again until they retire. Which is horrifying. (laughs) But that suggests that they're not very good reporters of their own behavior because it's not like they don't laugh or smile between the ages of 23 and retirement. Well, actually, they don't. Um, Well, there's two things. If you ask them on weekends, they report yes. But Monday through Friday, they report no. So they can report. And if you think about like the last time, Gretchen, that you laughed really hard. And we ask this to, you know, executives and and students. And then we have them pop it in the chat. 90% of the times, it's with your family, with your friends at home. It is not at work. Um, And there's reasons for that, too. And so we debunk these myths that the risk of failure uh, of humor is too great or that you Mm. can't use humor and levity and also be taken seriously at the same time or the simple myth that I'm just not funny. I don't want to be funny. I'm not going to be funny. 
Well, just to interrupt, because I thought that was one of the most interesting things in your book, is that maybe people think that it'll make them seem less powerful or less competent, but that actually your research shows it's just the opposite, that actually using humor makes people see you as more competent and kind of more in control. That's interesting. That's it's exactly right. So we call this the serious business myth. And Jennifer mentioned we have these four <laughs> myths that we work really hard to debunk. And so this is the idea that you have to be serious all the time in order to be taken seriously. And as you said, Gretchen, <laughs> it's our academic research and our an anecdotal evidence shows that this just isn't the case. And that especially for leaders, humor mm -hmm. is an incredibly powerful way to come off as more authentic and more human which of course more employees are yearning for in their leaders. So uh, a couple, uh, a quick barrage of stats here. So we know mm. that individuals, leaders who use, who have a sense of humor, and this is not my leader is funny, it's my leader has a sense of humor, mm. are viewed as 27% more motivating and admired by their employees. Their employees are 15% more engaged in creativity challenges. Their teams are more than twice uh, as likely to solve a creativity challenge than those who uh, whose leaders don't have a sense of humor, where, where there isn't joy and laughter in the workplace. And we even know that these individuals are more effective in negotiations. So in one of our favorite studies, researchers had participants uh, negotiate over the purchase price of a piece of art. So I want you to imagine you're walking into a room, you're buying a piece of art, and what you don't know is that the person on the other side of the table is a is a research assistant following a pretty close script, <laughs> right? So, all right, so you're negotiating, you think you're doing a great job. Now, researchers had two conditions with the exact same script with one really small difference. So in condition one, the script ended with, my final offer is X. And in condition two, the script ended with, my final offer is X, and I'll throw in my pet frog with a mm. smile. Ah. Now, this is clearly not viral hilarity. This is not going to make anyone, you know, break into tears laughing. It's just a little bit of levity. Now, what is remarkable in this study is that the, the individuals in the pet frog condition were willing to pay an 18% higher purchase price for that piece of art just because of this objectively lame dad joke. And what's more, <laughs> the individuals also reported that they felt less stressed in that negotiation and that they enjoyed the task more. And so just as you said, we think of humor as sort of this um, fun, frivolous thing that's a nice to have. Mm. But in fact, more and more we're finding that individuals at work and especially leaders can't afford to be humorless. Alyssa, this seems so relevant to you, like being the, sh you know, you and Sarah being the showrunner of this whole team coming together around Fantasy Island. Like this is perfect timing <laughs> for you to be thinking about this. Yes, I was just going to say, I so I'm running a television show, Reboot of Fantasy Island for Fox. <laughs> Love it. Yes, Can't wait. Very, very excited. But yeah, I mean, humor is so important. And I try to like maintain humor even when things get very stressful. One thing I found, which I'm curious what you think about this, is that one of the best things to do is sort of make yourself the butt of the joke. Sort of you take on... I don't know, kind of a humorous role. Um, and it makes people feel, again, like you're um, relating to them. So what's interesting, Liz, is that um, self-deprecation is a really powerful tool, especially when you're high status. But what we find is when individuals are lower levels of status, self-deprecation can have a boomerang effect and can actually harm you. 
And one of the things that's most interesting to think about, okay, when do I use self-deprecation and when do I not, is to answer simple questions, not just, you know, what status do you have in the room, but also what goals do you have? To what degree Mm. is creating a feeling of inclusivity and value actually really important in this moment in time, in which case self-deprecation can be very impactful um, versus is there another type of um, goal, like you're negotiating with a pet frog? So, Jennifer, what's a good example of self-deprecation? Like the frog example, that's a good example. What, what's like a, a, a skillful way that a leader might use self-deprecation to create that feeling of inclusivity and welcoming? Well, one of our favorite examples is actually by a co-CEO of Merit America, Connor Dimignamin, who actually teaches our class with us. Mm-hmm. And in a recent all-hands meeting on Zoom in, I think it was November, you know, it was a really dark time. It was a time where um, we're dealing with political strife, systemic racism, um, how do we um, deal with uh, mental well-being issues that were conjured up, uh, cultivated um, with remote work. And what he did when he was addressing his his team is at the end of his speech, he pretended to leave his, well, he left his screen share on. And so he went off to do something else and his other co-CEO took over. And so everyone's like, does Connor know that he left his screen share on? And so he goes to Google and types in things inspirational leaders say in hard times. <laughs> and so everyone sort of lost it. And he came back to the meeting is like, I just want to say that I am <laughs> with you oh. and I am concerned and I'm with you and we're all one. And everyone, again, is just laughing. He doubled down on this self-deprecating joke, but it revealed this vulnerability. It, it, it revealed that he didn't take himself so seriously and it did enormous things for the entire team. Did everybody that know he was so joking? Funny. Did everybody get it? Ultimately, yes. Oh, <laughs> but what's yeah. interesting about that is that, you know, he has this incredible humor style, which we call magnet. Magnets um, tend to be very sort of, um, affiliative and they bring people together. They make people feel inclusive. Um, But that's very different style than a sniper and they're edgy and they're dry and they're nuanced. They're the masters of the under underrated sort of underhand dig. And then there's stand-ups. Stand-ups are boisterous and bold. They are not afraid to cross a line to get a laugh. Mm. And then there's the sweetheart and they're earnest and honest. And they also uplift and tilt Mimi toward self-deprecation. But what you see, especially with sweethearts and also magnets, oftentimes they can over-index on self-deprecation because one of their goals is to lift others. Whereas mm. a risk associated with being a sniper or a stand-up is you, you might say something to offend or alienate others because mm-hmm. oftentimes they tease as a way of you know creating intimacy. So if I tease you, it means I like you. So you can start to understand the landmines that happen mm-hmm. in the workforce, um, but just revealing your own humor style and understanding there's benefits and risks with each goes a long way to start climbing out of that cliff. Yeah. One thing to add, Jennifer mentioned these four humor styles. And what we worked really hard to do in the book is represent leaders across each of these four styles. Because it's really easy to think about humor at work and think that it's just one thing, that it's a leader standing at the front of the room telling jokes. And what we're trying to teach here is that every Every person has a humor style. It's part of how we see the world. It's part of how we interact with the world. It's where we find joy. And so bringing that humor style out for a magnet is going to look different than bringing it out for a sniper or a Mm. sweetheart or a stand-up. 
What I think is interesting is I think you could do more to improve your your status at work through this than probably through anything else. Yeah. Like it just may, it could make such a huge difference. So I absolutely love analyzing it and and putting it into practice. Well, thanks so much. Congrats again on your book. And yes, uh, it was so, you, so it was such a lighthearted conversation. <laughs> thank, <laughs> thank you so you much both. for having us. Bye. Coming up, I give myself a work-related demerit, but first this break. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on Homes.com. They've got everything you need to know about the listing itself, but even better. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools. And their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. Homes.com collaboration tools make it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. As your kids get older, some things about parenting get easier. They can dress themselves. They can clean up after themselves, allegedly. Other things don't, like having conversations about money. The fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money unless they're actually in charge of it. That's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on their kids' spending and saving while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Yeah, Jack has Greenlight. And one thing I love is that it includes a chores feature where you can set up one-time or recurring chores and reward kids with allowance for a job well done. Gretchen, we used to mow the lawn. How much more motivated would we have been if we'd had funds deposited when we completed the hut chore? Mm-hmm. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash happier. That's greenlight.com slash happier to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash happier. Okay, demerits and gold stars. Elizabeth, this week it's your turn for a demerit. Okay, Gretchen, my demerit is that I realize now that I'm just like working like crazy, I can go days at a time without stepping foot outside. <laughs> like even into the backyard? Yes, like not in the backyard, <laughs> not to the sidewalk. I mean, I'll <laughs> open the door and take a Postmates bag from the doormat and like that's it. And I'll be out, I'll walk out and be like, oh, I haven't been outside for three days. So it's just, you know, I'm like in this office working. I mean, do you think you could just give yourself some kind of prompt so you at least I go should. outside for like a couple times a day and just like get the light in your eyes? Yes. I mean, it will. I mean, the research shows it's 
It's immune function. It's it's focus. It's alertness. It's circadian rhythm. It'll help you sleep. I was thinking I mean, that. No, I was thinking, gosh, we did this whole episode about sunlight and the importance yeah. of sunlight, and I'm getting zero. So anyway, I'm hoping by stating here that I haven't yeah. gone outside, I will now start going outside. Well, one thing is you love your morning cup of coffee. Maybe you could go outside for 10 minutes and just have a second mm. cup of coffee because that morning light is the best kind oh, of light. Interesting. That would be giving yeah. up CNN. So I don't know about no, that. but you could have one cup of coffee with CNN and a second cup of coffee outside. Okay, I'll ponder that. Okay. Gretch, what is your gold star this week? My gold star goes to you, Elizabeth, because, oh. you know, for years I've been having on my 21 for 21 list to watch Mad Men, and I yes. was intimidated by the 92 hours. Yes. But I am deep in season seven. I am about to hit the finale, which I know is your favorite episode of TV of all time. And I love it so much, so much that I have persuaded you that we must do a bonus episode so we can talk about it. Yes, we're going to do a Mad Men bonus episode. Send us your favorite scene. We're dying to hear. There's so many to choose from. Um, Gretch, I am very proud that I finally nagged you into watching (laughs) Mad Men. Yeah, you can be a happiness bully too. Yes. (laughs) But I appreciate it because I am loving it. The resources for this week. If you want to know when my ebooks or video courses go on sale or you want to get the Happier Podcast show notes in your inbox each week, you can sign up to receive these updates and, and other things as well in my free weekly newsletter at GretchenRubin.com slash newsletter. Also, if you're like me, as February comes to a close, you start thinking about spring cleaning season. And if you take satisfaction in spring cleaning, you may want to get a head start by joining my Outer Order Inner Calm 30-Day SMS Challenge. You get daily text messages with an audio message for me that gives you a simple challenge to create more Outer Order. You can go to GretchenRubin.com courses, or I'll put a link in the show notes to learn more and to join. And finally, what we're reading. I am reading Deacon King Kong by James McBride. Gretch, oh, what are you reading? I, I just finished Disha Filia's short story collection, The Secret Lives of Church Ladies. Mm, that's such a great title. I must read it. Yes, great book. And that is it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Re-engage with your resolutions. Let us know if you tried it and what strategies did you use of the 21 strategies? What worked for you? We want to know. Thank you to our terrific guests, Jennifer Ocker and Naomi Bagdonis. Check out their new book, Humor Seriously. Thanks to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, and everyone at Cadence 13. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. And if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend. And here's the thing. If you are listening on a device... At the bottom of your screen, you will see uh, some way to click through to send an email or text to someone with a link to this episode. If you know someone who enjoyed this discussion or enjoyed the podcast, please send them the link. Word of mouth is how people hear about us. That is an easy way to do it. But of course, do not do this if you are driving. (laughs) Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to talk about Mad Men when you're done. I hope I oh. haven't oversold the ending. I'm worried you're not, it's not going to be as amazing to you. Oh my gosh, I can't. I mean, I am loving it. I just, all I want to do is talk about Mad Men all the time. So we, yeah, we will talk about it. <laughs> <laughs>
from the Onward Project.